stretch. Austin Jackson back looks up. You can put it on the board. Yeah. Tame center for Kane. He's gone. Oh, Patrick Kane set up by Jonathan Tame. The dynamic duo comes through in overtime. Hawks win. Looking. Finds Rose. Rose trying to get open. Fires away. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Cloudgate Sports. We got a decent amount of stuff to talk about today. Bears are rolling. We got some sacks news with Renteria now gone. Of course, the Cubbies, with their uh, league-leading defense this year, have seven Gold Glove finalists. And the Hawks, there's a lot of Hawks news. Pat, I know you're excited about that. So, Pat, how are we doing? I'm doing good. It's, uh, it's good to be back. I want to do a quick shout-out to my main man, Bert. Yep. Uh, Bert was getting on our case. We was trying to hold us accountable to our schedule. Yep. So, Bert, this episode's for you. Thank yes. you, Bert. Appreciate it, man. Yes, and Pizzi, how are we feeling about those Bears? <laughs> how about them Bears, baby? How We're about them? good, all right? Yes, sir. All right, so let's go right into the Bears. PT, take it away. Yeah, sure. So, um, if you live under the rock, the Bears won uh, last Sunday 23-16 to against the Carolina Panthers. Um, I think this is another win under our belt that kind of legitimizes ourselves. Everyone keeps on saying uh, Bears are still a fake five and one team. Um, you know, there's some there's some rights and wrongs to that. Uh, but you know, Carolina was a good team. Yeah, they don't have Christian McCaffrey, um, but you know, they still played really well. The offense looks pretty good. Our defense Very is good. playing unreal right now. Um, final couple things. Um, I think our run game is still uh, it's, it's still kind of not there where we where we need it to be. Um, Nick Foles, he, there's a couple throws we were a little concerned about. Um, he, our defense, man, they started out. And, that's, and, you know, I think that's a key, too. It's so important to come out and get that first stop. It kills all the moments in the world. And we see it on the wrong side every time because it's usually our offense getting stopped. First first, uh, first series of the game, four and out. It's, 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 such, it's just such a momentum killer and everything else. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think there's really anything to complain about. No. Nope. Um, couple shout-outs. I mean, Alder Robinson still playing his ass off. Yes. Um, Kyle Fuller, I don't think there's – I think he's starting to fill himself into, like, one of the most physical DBs mm-hmm. in the league. I mean, every hit he makes, either a ball oh. flying out of there, there's a penalty to be thrown on him because he's so hurt. And, I, and one other discussion topic, too, I think we need to touch on, these penalties. I mean, we're getting – we're getting – it's like the I know everyone's saying Bears Twitter is always the one that complains, mm-hmm. but we have a legitimate reason to complain. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, probably Eddie Jackson's getting there a little bit too soon, but it's the same thing on the other side. Allen Robinson was blatantly pass interference down by the goal line, so I just want to go around. What, what do you guys think about that? that yeah, issue? you know what, I I can understand Jackson did come early both times the past couple weeks, but. If it's going to be called our way, it needs to be called both ways. And I think that's where the problem really is. If we can start getting it seen both ways where we're going to get it called against us and for us, then I'm going to have no problem with it. But it has to go both ways if it's going to work like that. Yeah, I agree. It's got to go both ways. And I think that's why you see a lot of Bears uh, players taking to Twitter complaining about it. Because, but yeah, I mean, I'm as a Bears fan, I'm not going to go and – I'll own up to it. Like, do I think those those Eddie plays were PIs? Probably. I think those those are gonna get called nine times out of ten. But right, we're looking for that to get called both ways. And and those those helmet to helmet like mm-hmm. calls are the targeting calls on Kyle. I mean, I always saw targeting was always reviewable. Maybe that's just in college. Uh, yeah. But I mean, you could see that that's that shoulder to shoulder or it's head to shoulder. Like it's not head to head contact. 
it's also infuriating to see too. Um, yeah, the umpire or the officiating hasn't been the best this year, but I like how the Bears respond. You know, it pisses them off, and they put the chip on their shoulder, and they get the job done. They don't let one flag ruin their their series or they or their drive or anything like that. For sure, yeah. Um, another couple shout outs too. I think uh, Cole Komet first NFL touchdown. Yes, sir. Um, Saint Viator alum. Yep. Shout out to that kid. Um, I think there's a lot more coming uh, coming in his future. He's going to be good. He's playing under one of our, I mean, one of the possibly one of the best tight ends in the NFL. Yes. Um, so that's always good to see. Um, Cario Santos, uh, he's 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 playing. We we got we got a kicker maybe and, finally. And, and I, I saw a really interesting tweet. I don't know if it was from Barstool Chicago or something in that area, um, but it was very true. It it was the title of the blog was. Uh, Bears fans, they, they, there was a bigger impact with Cody Parkey than we oh, all thought, yeah. and it's it's very it's true. Very true. Cause every, I mean, every field goal. I don't, it's me. And I don't know if it's you guys too, but you have to hold your breath, you know. But I think we have a little bit con, uh, confidence with Santos, and that's good. Um, and I think that all really has finished up for this game. Do you guys have anything else, anything to touch on during this game? No, you know what? It's just the Bears look so good this mm-hmm. week, and going forward. And as you said earlier, PT, a lot of people are saying they're the worst 5-1 team in NFL history. But we're still 5-1. We still have five wins. The schedule, Pat, we were talking about it before uh, we started this episode. Schedule is looking good. Uh, Vikings, we'll get into that too, PT. But things are looking good for the Bears. And uh, I'm pumped, for sure. Yeah, I mean, the offense is not perfect. I know we can all agree on that. There's definitely some, um, some issues there. But... The way this team is playing right now, and and I hate to say this, but I really want to say it because it's true, um, it's reminding me a lot of that defense from two years ago. That defense is beginning to wake up, and they're really becoming the true, like, fearsome people on the field. Um, they're winning us these games right now. And I think that uh, – I think it's a good thing to talk about is in football, like, defense turns into offense. A defense getting, you know – a quick four and out or like to start off the game getting a quick pick because Teddy Bridgewater mm-hmm. didn't didn't really know what was coming with that Bears D line yeah. that quick pick that defense turns in the offense and if that's the way it goes if we can rely on our defense to get the job done and hand the ball to our offense I think it's a great way to go about it the one thing I nitpick is I think the Bears need to improve their time of possession offense because this defense is doing so well but I mean you can't have the Bears go 80 yards on defense and stop them and force a three-point field goal, and then we go four and out, then we got to send the defense right back out there. That's my only way of nitpicking that game or games pass, but it's good to see the defense is really starting to pull through right now. No, yeah, I, I can't agree more. Um, I think that's one of the keys coming in this next game against the Rams. Uh, we got to – our defense just needs to keep up uh, and, and give the, our defense a break, you know. So um, our thing uh, moving in Monday night, uh, playing the Los Angeles Rams – at uh, Los Angeles, I think um, I'm looking here on ESPN. The Bears have a 29.7% chance of winning. I love it. I'm going to bang them. Money line. Give me the bet. I'm going to bet a lot of money on them. Um, I saw a stat line. Golf against the Bears. Uh, no touchdowns, 44 passer rating, and six interceptions. Um, that, that's because the defense is balling out against them. If they can keep that up, keep, um, keep them pressured, I think the Bears win easily. Um, and it, it looks real good. I think that, like you said, it's if 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 they if the offense can control the ball, our defense creates turnovers. We have good uh, uh, field position. I, I don't see the Bears. I see the Bears going six and one here. Yes, definitely very confident going into this game. If our defense can continue to play the way that they have, obviously with the uh, historic. Uh, stats that we have against Goff, I do like our chances this week. And uh, 29% is very not good, and I can't believe that they have it that low. But I'm excited for the game this week. We got primetime game, yep. very exciting. Uh, it's I can't wait for this week, and I would love, love to see a good game out of Nick Foles. 100%. 100%. Uh, for my, my, my pieces on this game this Monday night, I feel like it's going to be a very, very, uh, very ugly game uh, on the offensive end for both sides of the ball. You're talking with one of two of the two of the best defenses in the league. I mean, you look at the O or the D line for um, the Rams going up against our O line. That frightens me a little bit. But 
I mean, I'm going to take the Bears' defense over anybody else any any day of the week against any team. Um, so I think the defense is going to really going to win this game for us. I think it's going to come down to pressuring Goff, forcing turnovers, and as much as I'm not a fan of Nick Foles, I respect what he's done so far, and I feel confident with him taking the field off of a turnover from the Bears. I, I have a good feeling of him getting the job done. I wouldn't be surprised if this is like a – 17-14 game. I think it's going to be really low scoring. It's going to be a really gritty game and the Bear, I feel like the Bears um, run games are really going to have to help us out a lot in this game this week. 100%. 100%. Uh, moving on um, from Monday night's game, we'll talk about a little bit the division right now too. Um, Vikings, I can't remember the guy's name, but they're trading away one of their DNs um, to the Seahawks, I believe. Um, Ravens. Ravens. Ravens, thank you. And so one of the birds. That's one that is uh, huge. And also they have a lot of other people that uh, two torn ACLs. It sounds like they're tanking. They're they're in the route for tanking. Um, so you could almost mark that down for two wins on the Bears uh, on the schedule. Um, Lions are still kind of sneaky, and the Packers just got obliterated uh, by the Bucks, who we who we Terrible. who we beat. So um, it's it's looking good in our conference right now. I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if uh, it comes down to the Bears and Packers. Um, for the uh, title, but you know, I think the Bears have a really good chance. You know, you gotta stay positive, positive vibes. Very positive vibes. I do like the outlook, and I do agree. I think it is definitely going to be between the Bears and the Packers. Uh, of course, we're going to support our Bears, and they're going to take it. Of course, but uh, it's looking good. It's definitely looking good. Yeah, I, like I said, if we look at our schedule going forward. Um... We have a tough a tough schedule ahead of us. We have the Rams, Saints, Tennessee, and then Minnesota mm-hmm. before our bye week. The back end of the bye week, it, we were looking at Green Bay twice, which is, is a very interesting dynamic to see for our schedule. Usually it's the first game and the last game of the year. Um, them twice after the bye, Detroit, a very struggling Houston team, and then Jacksonville as well. Um, I like our chances, and I feel like it's in typical NFC North fashion. It's going to come down to those divisional games at the end of the season where – for all we know, that that last Sunday night or that last Sunday game against the Packers in Chicago, it, and for the title, um, the Packers really did. They got embarrassed um, on, against the, the Bucks, which I wasn't really expecting. I was honestly expecting that Packers team to go and wipe the floor with that Bucks team, and that Bucks that Bucks team really needed that win. Um, so how they how they changed. I'm not going to write the Packers off because it's Aaron Rodgers, and a pissed off Aaron Rodgers is a good Aaron Rodgers. So. We'll have to see how the rest of their season plays out, but all I know is those those games um, coming up after the bye against the Packers are going to be fucking huge. 100%, 100%. I think that's going to end our Bears talk. Um, Monday night, everyone, make sure you tune in. Cheer on your Bears, um, and hopefully we're 6-1 and one next time we release the next podcast. Um, I've got a quick ad to read real quick. Um, brought to you by Bears fans around the world. What do you do when you have a future Hall of Famer on your team? You make them an offer you can't resist, but the Bears seem not to understand this simple task. From the Bears around the world, we are begging you, Ryan Pace, in the front office to extend Allen Robinson. This ad will run until the task is completed. Great ad read. Absolutely love it. Uh, of course, that was uh, brought to you by PT. Yes. Absolutely love it. Thank you to the uh, Bears fans that um, imaginally donated uh, to run this ad, and um, we appreciate it to all you guys listening out there. Um, I hope you guys are on the same page with us. I think the whole world is on the same page, even if you're not a Bears fan. You think Allen Robinson deserves that money. 100%. Extend A-Rob. There's really no debate about it. None at all. Pat, you got anything else on yeah, Bears? Extend A-Rob. And like PT said, let's, let's look to be 6-1 and one once uh, the next pod comes out. Beautiful. All right, we're going to move on to the south side of Chi-Town. We got our White Sox. Uh, very big news coming out. Uh, Rick Renteria and Don Cooper will be stepping away. Well, they got the old hatchet. They're gone. They're done. The uh, Ricky Boys Don't Quit era is done. Don Cooper, love him. Been here since 05. Has done amazing things. Has uh, brought some really good pitchers. But both their times are done. Now we move on to the future, which is looking very bright. bright. And as everybody says... The White Sox managerial job is going to be the most sought-after job this offseason. We're going to we're going to be able to choose our pick of the litter out of all the coaches that come. Uh, how do you guys feel about Ricky being gone? I couldn't be more excited. Um, you know, I feel bad for the guy because he's 
had two teams where after he's left, uh, one with the Cubs winning the World Series and the White Sox with very good potential to win the World Series. Um, you know, sometimes you just got to let go. You, you got to make sacrifices to win something big. So, um, unfortunately, sorry, uh, Ricky. We love you, uh, but it's, it's time to move on for the better of both. And, um, I, you know, Don Cooper, too. Unfortunately, I think I just the, the pitching was not handled well at all this year. It was very clear, um, especially in that uh, game five. Was it game three? Game, game three, game yeah. Game three against the A's. That was just a shit show. It was embarrassing. And, uh, yeah. So, um, you know, good luck, best of luck to both of you. Um, and <laughs> hopefully we get a, a good, yes. good pick. Yes, very good. Pat, what you got? Yeah, Ricky's era was, was bound to end soon. <clears throat> I don't think any Sox fan is going to to really slander Ricky. We all can agree that he had his moments where he wasn't the best manager, but I think any Sox fan would love Ricky to death no matter what. I would have been fine if he stayed on the coaching staff as a bench coach. I think a lot of those players in the dugout love him. Uh, but I do think it was his time, time to go, and I think that was the number one move we had to make to push our organization forward. And when we have all the assets on the field, we just needed that coaching staff. Um Again, with Todd Cooper, as we touched on in our last pod, you know, the, the, the pitching game is evolving. I mean, the pitching game from 2005 to what it is now is completely different. Uh, statistics, analytics have built their way in and have made themselves a core piece when it comes to coaching. And I, you know, I'm not going to speak for Don Cooper because obviously I don't know how technologically advanced he is, but uh, I do think it was time for him to go too. And I really can only – these two moves, like I said, it, it's, it sucks to see. But in reality, if you look at it, there's a big, bright future ahead of us. And as you said, we should have – we'll be able to pick whatever coach we want at this point. I mean, who wouldn't want to coach this White Sox team? Exactly. Young, powerful team. Uh, I wrote down some of the candidates here. Uh, number one is very surprising, Tony La Russa. It's been all over the place that he's our leading candidate. He already had his interview with the White Sox. And the fact that reports are still coming out that he is the lead candidate, it makes me kind of worried. Uh, honestly, I would rather have him than uh, Renteria, but he is not. He would not be my favorite out of all these guys. I'll name some more candidates, and then uh, we'll go around the room and see who you guys think. We got A.J. Hinch, former manager of the Houston Astros. Uh, obviously, he's got a little, uh, got a little uh, garbage coming with him. But... It's okay. He's a good manager. Uh, Dallas Keuchel, also former Astros on the team, and possibly former Astro George Springer could be joining the team this offseason. We'll get into that more later. But uh, it adds an extra dynamic to uh, A.J. Hinch possibly getting hired. Then another person who's got a little garbage with him, Alex Cora, uh, another uh, good manager, won a World Series. The first three guys that I've named – all have World Series uh, mm-hmm. backgrounds, which is huge, which is what we need, which uh, Rick Hahn said in his uh, end-of-the-season interview, that's what they wanted. They wanted some postseason experience, and all these guys have it, and all of them have won. Uh, now, another guy who may not be in the headlines as much, but I would love to see him get an opportunity, that's Sandy Alomar Jr., who coached the Indians this year. Uh, Terry Francona stepped away this season, so... It was nice to see Sandy Alomar Jr. get his uh, chance as a head coach, uh, also former White Sox player. I really like the way that he coached this Indians team this year. And then lastly, we got Dave Roberts, mm-hmm. who possibly could get fired if the Dodgers do not win the World Series. And uh, to be honest, if they don't win the World Series, I think it's a guarantee that Roberts would not be returning next year. Having all those opportunities with the same team and not pulling through, Seriously. kind of uh, his last straw. So, PT, what do you think about uh, managerial candidates, the ones that I've listed, and if you have any more? Oh, yeah. Um, I think it would be really interesting to see uh, Dave Roberts kind of come into the picture. Um, I don't think that they're gonna, I don't think that they're going to lose the World Series. I think they're going to win. Um, Mookie Betts is just unreal. He's uh, amazing. He really we can, is. We can talk about them another day uh, after the World Series is done. Um, so, Dave Roberts I really like. And, of course, I also like A.J. Hinch and Alex Cora. Um, they really, I think, just the experience they have. I don't care what the baggage is anymore. Um, I think that is almost over. Um, I think it's kind of out of the picture now. Uh, so, and also, you know, and if Larosa comes in, um, I will feel not as good as the other candidates possibly. So that's just kind of my thought on those 
potential candidates. Yes. Pat, what you got? Yeah, I mean, when I first uh, seeing these names hit hit the news or hit Twitter feeds, uh, right after Ricky was let go, um, I'm happy the Sox went the way they did. Uh, I I don't. I didn't want to see Ozzy come back as much as I love him. I didn't want to see him come back. I really don't think Jim Tomey or AJ are fit for this position. Um, not at all. So I was happy to kind of see the, those names dwindle as of lately, and we're bringing the light more to Larusa, um, uh, AJ, or Cora, uh, Hinch, and um, uh, Sandy Elmar. So, I mean, I really don't think that they can go go wrong, and I'm going to go against you guys. I think the the – the Rays are going to win the World Series. I'm going to go with the Rays. I think they're a really good fucking team this year. They are very um, good. That being said, I think if I were to give my number one, I think that's going to be Sandy Alomar, just because with the history of the White Sox, um, he's had uh, experience head coaching out, uh, before. Uh, I think it was the 2012 season. He took over for interim head coach again for the Indians. And uh, he actually was a candidate, too, um, when Robin was still the coach. And he actually turned it down. Because uh, he didn't want to be, because I guess him and Robin probably had ties together, and he didn't want to be like Robin's replacement essentially. So you. he has been in the side of the in the cycle before when it came to White Sox head coaching. So I mean, for me personally, that's who I would knock at number one. Uh, I really wouldn't be upset with either any of those candidates we talked about, but I definitely I think we all can agree that Ulrus is probably not our number one though. Uh. He, he's not our number one, but right now he seems to be Rick Hahn's <laughs> exactly. number one. Exactly, our opinion doesn't really matter too much. Unfortunately. Uh, interesting, though, uh, Ozzy, of course. It, right away, as soon as the reports came out, Rick Hahn said Ozzy has no chance of being the manager of this club. Uh, I agree. Uh, I, I do believe that Ozzy should be in Major League Baseball in some sort of uh, coaching role whether it be with the White Sox or any other 29 teams. Uh, I, I don't think he's a good fit for this White Sox team uh, only because I feel like his coaching is uh, a little too laxed for how young our team is. Uh, that 2005 team had some more age to them, mm-hmm. so they were able to uh, make their own decisions and do their own things. Uh, next, also a member of the 05 team, A.J. Pruszynski, uh, I wouldn't shut the door on AJ just yet because at the end of the year interview, uh, Han also said that he does believe in first-time managers making a push for the postseason. Uh, I think it was six. I think I said this last pro, uh, podcast. Six of the eight teams uh, in the postseason had uh, first-year managers or first their first job as a manager. But AJ, I, I don't, I don't know, guys. Do you guys really see AJ as a managerial type? Oh, man, it's so tough. Um, you know, I think it'd be like you know, a fan favorite, close to your heart, kind of yes. almost like a David Ross kind of feel. Um, obviously, David Ross is probably a little bit more um, experienced and mature, and, and mature, and mature. <laughs> definitely with uh, his uh, that news breaking of AJ talking about how they would drink in the dugouts and all that funny stuff. Um, but you know, I. Like you said, fan favorite, but realistically. Well, it's kind of like looking back at the Robin thing, too. I mean, I know the White Sox were not in a good spot when Robin was hired as the manager, but he was a fan favorite. I mean, if you look back at those 90s teams, it was Frank, Ozzy, and Robin. Those three guys were the key to all those teams. Uh, I don't know. I just, I don't know. Pat, what do you got? I mean, I love AJ to death. AJ will forever be my favorite White Sox, uh, right? White Sox player. Mm-hmm. Growing up, he was always my favorite. You know, as much as I love him, I, I agree with PT. It's definitely like a David Ross situation where everybody kind of wants him to do it. Um, AJ is, if you, even if you listen to it whenever he would call games on Fox, I mean, he, he didn't take it seriously either. Like, he was a total goofball uh, when he was uh, calling games. So, yeah, he's definitely doesn't have the maturity like David Ross does. And I, I'm not going to say he would be a bad coach. I just don't think he would be the coach to be able to hold players accountable. Like you said, we need a coach that is has experience. Um, and we have a very young team, and we need them to be held accountable for their actions. It's very unlike our 2005 team. So I don't think, as much as I love AJ, I don't think he's going to be the best fit for this position. I agree, 100%. Uh, moving on to some free agency talk. Uh, our free agency podcast will come out in the next week or two. Yeah. But this is news today, and it is good news for the White Sox. 
Obviously, we've learned from the Machado and Harper sweepstakes. Don't look too much into this because we're all just going to be disappointed in the end. But MLB executives uh, did say today in an article that Trevor Bauer, the White Sox, lead favorites, that's very good for us. We were talking before the podcast on how that might shake up our rotation, but we will get into that in another episode. Could be some trades, could be some uh, DFAs. Some crazy things could happen with this White Sox team in the rotation. Uh, Moving on to gold gloves. Gold gloves were announced today. We've got five finalists, Mm -hmm. which is fantastic for this White Sox team. Obviously, we've had a couple throughout the last couple years. We had Adam Engel in uh, 17 or 18, I believe. And Yolmer obviously won last year. Uh, We've got Luis Robert in center field. He was awesome all year. I actually think that he has a very good chance. Of winning this award. Uh, Yo-Yo at third base. Ever since we moved him from second base to third base. He's just been awesome. Uh, Danny, my boy, the man Dick. Uh, absolutely wonderful. Uh, little little fun fact here. I was doing, uh, didn't have to do too much digging. But Danny Mendick was optioned this year for former Gold Glove Award winner Yolmer Sanchez. So. Just a little, just a little interesting there. I, I still believe that Danny shouldn't have been optioned, but it's the past. Then we've got two Gold Glove candidates at catcher, yeah. which I don't know if that's ever happened before. Uh, we got James McCann and Yasmani Grandal. Uh, before we move on to what you guys have to say, I do want to touch Abreu is not a finalist at first base, which I think is absolutely a joke. Uh, he was awesome at first all year. I mean, he was just overall an amazing player this year, but his defense was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. PT, what do you got? 100%. Um, I'm going to bounce back to Trevor Bauer right now. Um, I can't tell you how excited I am because I love Tra- Trevor Bauer. I just think even though, like, some people give him crap for being on Twitter too much, but, you know, it's just kind of the, the exact fit that the White Sox are. You have Tim Anderson that's trying to change the game of baseball. Trevor Bauer is trying to change, change the game of baseball. So I think he fit perfectly in with the White Sox. Um, I get a little too excited, um, but I think that it's definitely a good reason to. Um, our gold, gold glove uh, finalists, I think Robert uh, definitely has a really good chance of winning it. Um, and it also saddens me because uh, James McCann is also listed on it as well. And he's just been so special for us, and I don't think enough people give him credit um, for what he's done. Um, he's literally been really clutch. And just played fantastically, and he's and you have to also give him credit for Lucas Giolito's success as well. So um, it's 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 going to be tough in the off season to see uh, what James McCann does. Yes, and winning a Gold Glove would definitely make him more expensive, and it would. James McCann, I, I just don't think he's going to be back next year because of his price tag. But uh, Pat, what do you got? Uh, yeah, back to Bauer. I mean, I don't think any Sox fan. Like, every Sox fan is happy to hear uh, that. Obviously, like you said, with Machado and Harper, we can't get our hopes up. But as PT said, I mean, uh, Bowers has got that swagger to him. He's got that will to win. He's got that where I don't give two shits what people think about me. I'm going to go out and play my ass off. And that fits right into our our mantra, I would say, uh, uh, with this White Sox organization. And with the gold gloves, I mean, I'm honestly not surprised uh, that we got those five. Um, I, I feel like our defense was pretty damn good this year. Um, I do think Jose was snubbed a little bit, but hopefully him being snubbed there is going to be made up somewhere else. So yes. We'll see. Yes, um, that'd be great. But I think everybody everybody deserves, everybody who won deserves it. Um, everybody who got nominated at least deserves it. And uh, it, like PT and you, Brandon, like you said, um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out in the offseason with James McCann because I feel like most um, – Yaz is locked up for, what, two more years? Two or three. Two or three. I think it's I think it's three and an option maybe. Correct. Um, so yeah, obviously it's not like you can just unsign him because I feel like if we could, I feel like a lot of us would and we re-sign McCann. Yes. Um, it's not how it works. So so we'll have to see. I sure as hell hope to see James back in a, in a White Sox jersey. But if not, I mean, I hope he gets fucking paid. That's the case. If he's not in a White Sox jersey, he needs to get a lot of money wherever he's going. Correct. Yes. Uh, now we're going to be moving on to the north side unless you guys got anything else on the White Sox. All good? All right. So going to the north side with the Cubbies, uh, congratulations to Jeremy Jeffress, named NL Reliever of the Year. I know last year was a really rough year for him after uh, 
him struggling with the Brewers, but he found his home in Chicago this year, and he did absolutely fantastic. Uh, the Cubs also have a league-leading seven Gold Glove finalists: Rizzo at first base, Contreras at catcher, Baez at short, Hayward and right, Horner at second, and two starting pitchers: Kyle Hendricks and Alec Mills. I mean, the Cubs defense mm-hmm. and the White Sox defense were arguably the two best defenses in the league this year. I mean, it's just awesome to see all these Gold Gloves flying around the city of Chicago. That's a total of 12 Gold Glove finalists in one city. I mean, as a Chicago fan, can't be happier. Uh, The Cubs do have a really good shot at winning a couple of these awards. Uh, Rizzo is locked down at first base. He's absolutely fantastic. I know we will all never forget his tarp catch from a couple years ago. Uh, Contreras, very solid catcher behind the plate. Baez, of course, with his flashy tags. I mean, it is electric. Uh, Hayward in right field. Hayward is arguably the best defensive right fielder in the league. Horner, which I love to see from the young guy uh, getting a gold glove finalist. He's solid with the bats, got a good glove. And then, of course, you can't forget about the doctor, uh, Kyle Hendricks. Absolutely magnificent this year on the mound and around it. And Alex Mills, hey, you got a no-hitter. Why not add a gold glove to your uh, uh, gold glove to your trophy case? So, absolutely awesome. PT, what do you got about the Cubbies? Uh, nothing much. Um, I think we kind of already touched on it. Um, you know, I think the issue was is that something that we no one thought it was going to be. It was their offense. Um, their defense was fantastic, as we see all the nominations and finalists for the Gold Gloves. Um, and their bullpen definitely was a lot better than, a lot of, than people thought. Um, so, you know, it, the Cubs still have some a lot, like we talk about every time. They've got money issues. We'll see what happens with it. Um and I've heard multiple things, crazy things. So, I, I, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what the Cubs do. I've heard that Baez might be gone. Bryant might be gone. Yes. Um, Rizzo seems like to be the only one that they're really, really not going to let go of, and I don't blame them one, one, 100%. So, yeah. it's, it's going to get crazy. I think Chicago's, I mean, I think the Cubs still, if they make the right moves, I think they still have a really good chance to be up in, up in the contender spot. Yes, I agree with you. There's no way they get rid of Rizzo. Those other guys are... Uh, Baez, obviously, more than Bryant, are a little mm-hmm. bit more untouchable. Correct. But Rizzo, I just see no chance that they ever get rid of him. I think he's a Cub for the rest he, of his career. He, he's, he's very, I mean, you just look at the White Sox. He's like Jose Abreu. He does this. He brings the same energy. He's that guy that they, they need in the locker room. Yes. P- Pat, what you got? Uh, I think my only hit on the Cubs is I was happy to see that Horner uh, was nominated there at second base because I remember – you know, pre-COVID, that pod where we were talking about coming into this season, uh, when Jack was still here, he was talking about second base was a huge question mark for the Cubs coming into the year. And uh, it looks like Horner was given the opportunity, and he made the best of it. And I think he deserves it. He was a, a great asset for them the, for them this year. Um, but, uh, like, we'll see. I mean, I think you guys hit on the head. Uh, Rizzo's really the only one that's locked up. And this MLB offseason is – going to be really really fun to watch like you know i think we all agree on that yes it's definitely gonna be fun uh one last thing with the cubs we talked about it last week pat brought it up pat's father brought it up (laughs) that uh theo epstein might be in line for the uh next commissioner job or if not next year which would be fantastic because we need to get uncle rob the fuck out of office uh there is definitely some more i've seen some more movement on it and it could definitely be more of a possibility uh, I don't think it'll happen in the near future, but it's definitely a possibility for the next couple years down the line. I personally would love to see Theo Epstein take that role. I think he'd do a great job and stop a lot of the shit that Rob Manfred's trying to do with all these changes. Uh, PT, what do you got about Theo Epstein possibly being the next commissioner? I don't think there's anyone on the planet that would disagree um, with that. Um, it's just kind of seen the MLB with COVID handled off of handled awful um you know it's just something that i think needs to be changed and theo epstein definitely has the potential and he's shown that he can definitely change the uh the uh whole aspect of mlb for sure pat what you got on theo epstein yeah i mean like i said it sucks that it might not be in the near future but if, if some point down the line that he does become it uh the mlb is in good hands uh, I think he would be a great fit. <clears throat> he's very smart. He's he's adapted very well to the the changing environment of the MLB. Um, 
So I don't think anybody would be uh, opposed to him taking that spot. And, Dad, shout-out to you for dropping that hot take for us last week because yes, it's sir. paying off big right here. For sure. Uh, it's going to be interesting, though, uh, to see because Theo Epstein's a, a younger guy compared to our past commissioners. So I could see some new uh, rules being changed with uh, social media, possibly see our good uh, friend Pete Rose finally get unbanned and inducted in the Hall of Fame. Uh, this The next generation for sure is uh, definitely for the players, and Theo Epstein is for the players and not for the business, which is exactly what the MLB needs to uh, continue to grow the brand. Uh, is that all we got for baseball on the Chi-Town? I believe so. All right. Pat, take it away with Blackhawks. I know you got some uh, fun things to talk about, and we are all very pissed. Yeah. So when we recorded our last episode and it dropped about two weeks ago, the draft hadn't happened. Corey Crawford was still a Blackhawk, and Brandon Saad was still a Blackhawk. And boy, has shit hit the fan within the past couple weeks. Yes, it has. So let's start with this. Um, October 8th. It is made known early in the morning that Corey Crawford is not being re-signed. And in the words of Stan Bowman, he's looking for a youth movement, uh, which in that case means that it looks like Connor uh, Delia and Lankinen down in the AHL, along with Malcolm Subban, are going to be fighting for those spots up in the NHL. <clears throat> if anything, um, it looks like it's going to be Subban and Delia are going to be the ones that are going to be taking those two spots in the NHL just because if they had to go down to the minors, they have to clear waivers. Mm-hmm. It'd be a, it would be a, a long process. And his, his explanation for this was Corey was given that shot after the 2010 team. Uh, that youth movement, you can you can kind of agree with Stan there. That did happen after that, that first Stanley Cup, and Corey was given that opportunity to take, take the net. Um, so yeah, Crow is no longer a, uh, a Blackhawk, and he was, as we all expected, he was swiped up pretty damn fast. Um, it looks like the offer that was on the table for him was, uh, and then I'll get into this later on, but there was some issues with the the, con- the length of the contract. Um, Stan was looking more for a one-year deal. Corey was looking for more like two or three, mm-hmm. averaging about a 3.9, anywhere from a three 3.5 to a 4 million cap hit, which for a top 10 goalie, is a fucking deal. I mean, it's absurd that it got turned away, but I'll get into that in a little bit. But Corey was swiped up pretty quickly by the New Jersey Devils at a two-year, $7.8 million deal. So I hope to God whenever Corey and the, the, the Devils come back to Chicago and the UC, I hope the I hope we're, it's a sold-out UC, we have fans back, and I hope he goes out the way he deserves to go out with a fucking standing ovation. Uh, it sucks to see him go. But, I mean, I really hope when they come to Chicago for their first matchup in the UC, I hope it's sold out, and I hope that Corey pitches a shutout against us. I really do. So, I want to hear your takes on it. It was very shocking when it happened. So, what do you guys feel about Crow no longer being a Hawk? Yeah, uh, Pat, you touched on a good point there with uh, the Stanley Cup run uh, from previous years with uh, Crawford getting the chance, just like our youth guys will be going now. Uh Earlier on in the season, in the podcast, we were talking about goaltenders. Obviously, we had the great Leonard on our squad, too. But you seemed happy with Delia, bringing him up as our second goaltender. Uh, I'm happy if it's Delia, because that's truly one of our young guys. I don't want to see Subban getting that number one goaltender job. Uh, Give it to Delia, see what he can do, see what happens. Uh, Crawford, of course, is going to do great things in New Jersey. I have no doubts about that. I'm excited to see what Crawford's going to do. I'm excited to see Crawford face the Blackhawks again. See the standing ovation, like you said, Pat. And the uh, embrace from Kane and Taze is going to be awesome as well. It's going to be a good time when Crawford comes back, for sure. Yeah, um, no one else can tell this right now, um, but the only one is Mahoney, and my mood has just dropped dramatically um, throughout this podcast. Um, I just have a sick feeling in my stomach and a knot um we'll, we'll obviously talk more and more about it um but Crawford leaving you know I guess there's pros and cons to each of it um but just the direction of this team it's just you know we're not gonna be good we're not gonna be good for a while and it's really sad um but we'll let I'll let Pat talk a little bit more about it yeah so shortly after that gut punch of losing Corey Crawford uh a pretty big right away right right away a pretty big a pretty big trade hits um 
hit the news the news feed too. Uh, Brandon Saad and Dennis Gilbert were dealt to Colorado for uh, uh, defenseman Nikita uh, Zadaroff and defenseman Anton Lindholm. And in hindsight, when I saw this trade, I I wasn't a fan of it. But in reality, uh, Zadaroff is a fucking very very good defenseman, and he's a big ass dude. And if you guys saw Twitter. Um, after Kane was had the chance to get interviewed after all, everything kind of settled down. And when Zadaroff got drafted or got traded over, he texted him and he's like, thank God I don't have to play against you anymore. <laughs> um, that mutual respect between the two. Obviously we've seen him in Colorado plenty of times over the years. <clears throat> he's great, a, uh, a great asset to add to our, uh, our defensive core. Uh, and I'll get into this a little bit again in a little bit. Um, our, the future for our defense, our defenseman, looks very good. It looks very bright. And I think Zadaroff and Boquist are going to be t- paired up together. <clears throat> and I think they're going to, they're gonna really, they're going to kill it. The one downside of this trade <clears throat> is that um, we did retain $1 million of Saad's contract. Like, what Again, the fuck, Pat? Go I into mean, that. I know. <laughs> I, I don't get it. And like I said, as I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address Stan's... Um, media circuit shortly and i'll talk about him in terms of his his financial spending and how he how he thinks it's going to pan out we did retain some of Saad's contract zadaroff is locked up for a 3.2 cap hit um my issue with this though is we trade Oimata for the to, to dump some cap and we knew we weren't going to re-sign him and in in hindsight that added uh, a defensive spot for ian mitchell a rookie who is a offensive offensive minded defenseman? We, we can say. Then we go ahead and trade for Zadaroff. So how is that going to play out in our defensive core? Is Ian Mitchell going to be up to the beginning of the year? Uh, I don't know. I have a feeling that it's going to be <clears throat> we're going to be moving a lot of pieces uh, at our defense these next couple years. So like the idea of having a healthy scratch of defenseman isn't going to be a negative uh, thing anymore. Like it usually has been. Um, I would say that you know you're going to see Zadaroff get a lot of playing time, and then Ian Mitchell, Boquist, like don't be don't be shocked to see them as healthy scratches. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Those two moves were really not communicated well to our core four players, and by core four I mean 1988, uh, two and seven: Zebes, Keith, Taze, and Kane. And uh, shortly after those moves, Mark Lazarus from the Athletic went and was able to. Uh, score an interview with uh, Jonathan Taze where, you know, he Taze, we all, I think we can all agree here, Taze does not speak up. He's a very quiet mm-hmm. guy. And when he's pissed, you know he's pissed. So show it on the ice. Mm-hmm. So Taze doesn't speak up, and that core four was brought up in that in that interview with Lazarus, and they said they were pissed. They didn't, you know, Taze doesn't want to be a part of a rebuild. Um, and you know, said that article came out a couple weeks ago, and in recent news, we can we can safely say that um, Taze Kane, Keith, and Zeeves are going to be on the team for the next couple of years. I, I feel very confident saying that. So that that lack of communication by Stan Bowman really upset his core pieces, which is something that I'm not too big of a fan of. Um, so let's go into what you guys have to say about that that sod trade and adding uh, Zadaroff, and then also that lack of communication between uh, Stan Bowman and our core pieces. Yes, I, I don't know how to feel exactly on the Brandon Saad trade until the season starts and we see both of those players on the ice. Uh, I know, Pat, I trust you with your hockey. I, I do believe that they are two good defensemen. Uh, Brandon Saad, we have to say goodbye to him yet again. Uh, hopefully we don't end up saying hello to him again in like four years down the road. Uh, hopefully we shut that door. Uh, but I agree with you, Pat. I am not happy with how unhappy the core is. They, they should be our – Kane, Taze, Siebes, and Keith should be our main uh, focus on being happy because we saw at the end of the season this past season when uh, after we lost, Kane and Taze kind of didn't seem too happy, uh, totally ignored Colleton. Uh, it's going to be interesting too if we see uh, Colleton stepping out the door, uh, but – I don't know. I don't really know how to feel about the Hawks right now. I'm not feeling great. I'm not feeling awful. I'm kind of, eh, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, this this Saad trade dates back to when we traded uh, him, to him, uh, Panarin, to get Saad back to Chicago. Um, we automatically lost that. Um, Panarin should have been on the Blackhawks and still should be. 
Um, it just makes it's kind of this whole thing trading away just kind of backs that up. Um, it's it's just sad. I'm I'm really just so sad right now. I, I can't. Yes, it is sad. It is for sure sad. Yeah. Um, so after that, there was a series of moves, nothing too backbreaking like those first two moves that were made. Uh, and I'll kind of do a, a quick lightning round. The Blackhawks then went on to sign Matthias Janmark, um, who is a, a, a one-year $2.25 million deal, who is a great asset that the Hawks have picked up. And, and as much as I don't like Stan Bowman, the Zadaroff trade I'm a fan of and adding uh, Matthias Janmark is a huge pickup. He's a great forward. He's going to be a bottom six guy. He can run center or forward. But in, in, my biggest thing about this is he is one of the – he's absurdly good on the penalty kill. And we all know we need to up our penalty kill along with our power play. So he's a great asset we added. Uh, we also uh, added Lucas Walmark, uh, centerman, who was going to be a big piece into that, again, to that bottom six of our, our, our forwards. And good news, though, we've – uh, officially re-signed Dominic Kubelik for a two-year, $3.7 million deal, which in terms of hockey finances, which is really confusing, and I don't really understand it too well myself, 3.7 is a great deal for Kubelik, and that's something we, I think we all agree we needed to uh, re-sign. Malcolm Subban originally was said that he looks like he wasn't going to come back to the Hawks once that, um, that Corey news broke. Well, he signed a two-year deal for $850,000. <laughs> Um, so it looks like he's going to be here for a couple more years. Dylan Strom did receive a qualifying offer. So he was a restricted free agent. So essentially a qualifying offer is the Hawks are going to offer him a deal. And if anybody else wants to try to sign him, the Hawks have an option to match their deal, essentially. Um, looks like Strom's going to be staying at Blackhawk. Hopefully he does. Uh, he had a tough year this year, but I do have a, a lot of, I think there's a bright future for him. So he received a qualifying offer, but uh, they're still working on some deals with that. So he isn't officially re-signed yet, but I would imagine that's going to happen sometime soon. And lastly, Drake Ajula and Slater Cuckoo, thank God, uh, are no longer uh, Blackhawks. They did not receive any qualifying offers, so they were able to hit free agency. So let's give me, let's hear your guys' thoughts on these, uh, these assets we picked up and let go. Okay, Pat, I got a question for you. We're, we're, we're making these signings, and they're decent signings, right? Yeah, I think I know exactly where you're going with this. Go ahead. Okay, I don't know if you want to get into the message that they sent out just yet that looks like they're leaning towards a rebuild. And I know the sod deal and the court getting rid of Corey looks like rebuild moves. They're making these solid signings. What the fuck are we doing? Yeah, um, it's a great, great point, and it's, gonna, it's a great segue into my next area is – with these, with the original statement around a youth movement that happened when Corey was let go, to this letter to the fans of a. Also, I know I don't know any team that's ever fucking done that before. Oh, I'll say this. Oh, actually, no. The Rangers did just do that. Uh, it's I guess it's becoming a thing in the NHL. The Rangers are more of a shit show than the Hawks are right now, <laughs> and they're really like. <clears throat> I'll say this too, and the word rebuild carries a lot of weight. Because in our minds, a rebuild would be we're shipping out Kane, Taze, Keats, yeah. and Thieves, and we're full tanking, grabbing draft picks, and restructuring. Yeah. We're not, I would say we're not rebuilding. I don't think you can actually rebuild. Like, or like, look at the Philadelphia 76ers. Like, that was a rebuild. I don't think you can do a rebuild like that in the NHL. Um, so, yeah, this is, where, this is where I start to kind of lose Stan, and this ties into his, his recent his, – uh, media circuit that he's been doing as we said he didn't have good communication skills so he went on to the blackhawks talk, talk podcast with um uh, nbc's pat boyle and charlie romeliotis as well as taking um which i was surprised to see when i saw it on twitter he actually found himself in the barcel chicago office getting an interview with barcel chief which we all know chief is the number one stan like hater uh he made the clown shirt of him he's not a fan of it and 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 stan was well aware that you know he's chief doesn't fucking like him and so i I mean i'll tip my cap to stan in the idea that he's going out and facing the media head on and accepting the the ridicule um that he kind of deserves and the the blame he kind of deserves so yeah we're making big we're making big um big moves i would say zadaroff and uh matthias yanmark and lucas walmark that strengthens our defense tremendously compared to what like, we were the worst defensive team in the NHL last year. 
it's the idea that this is where I begin to lose Stan is that we want to retool and become younger, right? And we, but we still want to be competitive enough to make the playoffs. So we were going to go and add these guys and really, really strengthen up our penalty kill and our uh, our defensive front. Yet we let go of a, a Hall of Fame goaltender. It, it doesn't make any sense, and that's where I lose Stan. And that's why I kind of want to see what your guys's take on that is, though, because that's every Chicago fan right now. We let a Hall of Fame top ten goalie walk for a one year, like when he had you know a, a underneath a four million dollar deal on the table. Yet we go and pick up these pieces that are going to really strengthen our defense, and that would make us a competitive team if we had Corey and not 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 Connor Delia or Malcolm Subban. So, what do you guys have to think on that? Yeah, I mean, I already kind of during that question, I kind of gave my two cents. I, I'm just confused on the direction that we're going to go. Uh, I'm happy with the signings that we have made, but very unhappy with. I'm unhappy more with the Corey Crawford getting rid of him than the Brandon Saad trade. The Saad trade, I can understand to some degree. And again, we won't see the final product until they're on the ice next year. Uh, Corey Crawford, obviously, Pat, like you said, Hall of Famer. It's very tough to let those players walk. I- I'm just, again, I'm confused. Uh, I- we'll see how the Hawks look with the final product that ends up on the ice next year. Uh, Goaltending is going to be a huge question mark. Uh, hopefully it's good. Hopefully the Hawks make the playoffs next year and uh, win the Stanley Cup. I mean, who fucking knows? Uh, PT, what you got? I'm in the same seat as you, and I think also 95% of Blackhawks fans, I, I don't know what to think of anything right now. I think there's so many things flying around that, okay, rebuild, okay, we're signing some okay players, okay. What do, like what? There's no There's no direction right now. It seems like... There's moves made and there's counter moves made and it's just very confusing and I, I'm literally just sitting here I don't know I have no idea what they're doing, no clue. Yes. And this begins to tie into Stan's media circuit. So, kind of picking off where uh, with the uh, the chief interview on Barstool or uh, Redline Radio, um, you know they talked about a bunch of different things all the way from the Panarin trade to. John McDonough to Quenville to Corey. Um, so I'll touch on these things really quick. Uh, hearing Stan talk and hearing him think or speak out his process on some of these trades is interesting to hear. And his idea of how he trades is like an asset management type thing where his – and I'll just kind of highlight some areas that I found most interesting. Let's look back to that that uh, Artemi Panarin trade. Panarin wasn't – in, in Stan's eyes, or in Stan's eyes, which he said in the podcast, they weren't going to be able to re-sign Artemi Panarin. Um, with that being said, we don't want to let an asset like that walk, so we trade him like any other sport. Uh, like look at the Mookie Betts deal; yeah. they weren't going to be able to re-sign him, and they had they had to trade him to get the best out of the situation. So that's what we did there. Um, Chief brings up a good point where you bring back Sod, you add Oimata those two guys equate to about anywhere from 10 to 10.5 million dollars where why don't we just i think a lot of us agree that part panarin would have been 11 million dollar deal why don't we just i mean i think all of us would agree we take panarin for 11 million and i would sleep just fine at night not having holy mm-hmm. mod and brandon side at 10.5 stan's idea was you really can't have three players north of 10 million on your team so that'd be Taze and Kane as well, uh, which you can kind of understand because if you look up at uh, Toronto with their their assets, they're getting paid a lot of money and they're in a struggle bus right now because the cap isn't going anywhere anytime soon from the NHL. So this asset management thing is where it ties into Corey Crawford in that he said he was only set on a one year, Stan was only set on a one year deal and Corey wanted more than that. And the reason why they didn't want to give him a two year deal is because like we said earlier, you can't unsign him. So they're looking for, with the expansion draft after next season with the Seattle team, that a lot of teams are going to be looking to move players and move assets, and not having Corey locked up to a four-year, $4 million deal gives them more flexibility in approaching that market going forward, which counteracts his youth movement because the way he's talking in these podcasts is looking like he wants to go add a big-name goaltender after next season when this expansion draft hits and he's going to have money in his pocket. 
which there's no really good super young goalie that's going to be a huge asset next year or yeah after next season so again that counteracts his whole youth movement thing which is where he begins to lose a lot of chicago fans and then lastly the last thing i'll talk about from that podcast is his joel quenville um hit the firing joel quenville and Again, it's the way I compared it is the Blackhawks firing Joel Quenville would be something similar to the Patriots firing Bill Belichick. They Stan said that the reason why we let go of Joel was because of the way that the league is evolving in terms of the youth players. Where Joel Quenville is going to go into the locker room and look Jonathan Taze in his face and say, Taze, you suck tonight, you gotta pick it up. It's a, he's an older player. He has uh, like you can go to a guy like Taze and say, "Hey, you suck tonight. You need to pick it up tomorrow." And Taze is going to know what to do. Where if you go to a guy like Kirby Doc and say, "You know, Doc, you suck tonight. You need to go fix your act," Kirby isn't going to know what to do. Our Gen Z millennial type players that are out there right now need more and more feedback to see where they're going wrong. That's why they look towards Carlton as our coach because he's more geared towards the younger generation, which is what Stan said. And he compared it to other coaches that Cowden has has led um, in previous in previous years. So those were the three big takeaways: that Panarin trade, the firing Quenville, and then the Corey Crawford um, move. Those are my big takeaways from those podcasts. I mean, what do you guys have to say about any of those three topics? With the Quenville firing, I think that is one of the worst decision, like one of the worst reasons to have him fired. I, I don't. I don't. You guys might feel different, but with young players, I, I don't. Quinville was still winning. It wasn't like fuck where we lost every game in the past three weeks, or like Renteria, we won two of our last thirteen or fourteen games. It wasn't like that. We were still winning under Quinville. Just because you're looking forward to the younger guys in two three years doesn't mean they have to fire one of the best head coaches of all time now. I didn't understand the move then. I still don't understand the move now. To me, Colleton's not an NHL-ready coach. He needs to go coach a little bit longer in the NHL or in the AHL or something. Quinville should have stayed. There was no doubt about it, and I, I still feel like that was a bad move. One hundred percent. I need to go listen to the Redline Radio podcast. Um, I haven't had a chance to yet, uh, but it's definitely something that I need. I think a lot of people will use it to kind of understand where this direction is going. Um, Quenville, obviously, we, you guys touched on everything. It, it's just, there's so many things in there, just kind of, the Quenville firing, it's like, the, the excuse for that is soft. Like, it's just plain soft. If, if you're worried about someone getting their feelings hurt, yeah, man, man, maybe they're not built for the NHL then, you know? It's just mind-blowing. Yeah, and I, you think of it this way too. Like I compared him to Belichick because I think that's a fair comparison. Mm-hmm. Like in our eyes, Quenville was the Belichick of the Hawks. Imagine going to Belichick and going to your Patriots Nation and say, "Hey, you know, we got a bunch of Gen Z and millennial kids coming into our team soon." And hey, yeah, you could. And I'll be the first one to say our generation is softer to, than older generations, but we are a very feedback-oriented generation. Like we like you look at any sport. I mean, you're looking at young pitchers in baseball. They need to see feedback on where they're going wrong. Yeah. You can't go to a guy like, you know, Dane Dunning or or um, who's the guy that got hurt in Game Three. The, the really good oh rookie. crochet 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 you can't go to crochet and say hey you suck tonight go fix your act he needs he needs feedback so i understand that aspect but imagine going to belichick and saying hey you know bill thanks for all the go. rings but we we gotta let you go we need to focus more on the youth movement that's where like i understand that move but then again i don't because it is one of the best coaches to ever coach the game so i really recommend listening to that the redline radio hats off the chief for not rolling over mm-hmm. uh he really asked some very difficult questions and if you listen to it uh it does get a little bit tense especially in the Corey crawford a- a- area and talking about the bubble uh in our playoff experience this year it definitely gets a little bit tense um but to to kind of wrap things up um the draft did happen before shit hit the fan uh we did have the 17th pick and we did pick lucas reichel from uh berlin who is a winger uh, I like this pick a lot, and he, the Hawks got to see him in Berlin when they played them last year. Um, so he's definitely been on the Hawks radar, radar for a while. Uh, and one thing I want to say too is not a lot of fans were, uh, not a lot of fans enjoyed this pick. A lot of fans were looking for Hendrix Lapierre, a Canadian centerman. 
Um, who, yes, a centerman is something we can look to have in a couple years, given that, you know, Taze Kane are done and are their contracts up at the end of the 2024 season, I believe. Uh, Henry Sapierre was like one one hit away from never playing hockey again. He had a bad history of concussions and even a fucking broken neck. Like, uh, how that dude was even like. A, within the top 20 pick of the first round was absurd to me. So anybody who says we should have picked him, go pound sand. Um, <laughs> next, yes. uh, the Nashville Predators picked up the best goalie that we're going to see in a long time in this draft. Uh, let's go. Let's go. Yaroslav Askarov. Close enough. Russian, Russian-born goalie. Um, he is going to be, and I bring this up just because they're in the central with the Hawks. He's going to be an absolute menace once ever he comes up in the league and takes. Uh, he's the best replacement you could possibly have for Pekarene once his time's up in Nashville. So I don't look forward to playing Nashville in a couple of years when uh, he's he's going to be taking the the head uh, head job. Lastly, St. Louis Blues did lose Alex Petrangelo, who did go sign with Las Vegas, which is a big pickup for Las Vegas. They're kind of in that Blackhawks moment between the second and third cup where they're still tooling and they're almost at that peak point. So Vegas can be a very good, very good team. But St. Louis did pick up uh, defenseman Tory Krug from Boston, who I'm sure he's looking to come play in the central because I know he doesn't have a good history with the Hawks. The Hawks sure as hell don't like Tory Krug. They signed him for a seven-year, $45 million deal, which is a lot of fucking money. Yeah, holy fuck. So the central, with the way the Hawks are going or whatever direction the Hawks are going, um, I, I don't know in the way that St. Louis is adding assets, Nashville is adding assets. It doesn't look too good for the Hawks. After hearing those podcasts, um, like I said, I gained more respect for Stan Bowman for facing the fire and you know taking those shots, but I don't feel any better about the direction of this team. Yes. Uh, I really don't. I feel uh, a lot of us, I feel we can agree unanimously that we're very confused and – Next year, I really don't know what's going to look like. I feel like we have, like I feel like we have the assets, especially coming up with our defensemen. The goaltending situation really does scare me. So, what do you guys have on those moves? I agree with you 100%, Pat. I, I do gain respect for Stan Bowman. I had no idea that he would ever step up to the fire like he did, uh, especially talking with Chief. I don't know what the fuck he was thinking with that, but. Uh, Again, I, I'm confused. We'll see how next year plays out. The future is a big question mark. Uh, but then again, the last couple years, the Hawks have looked really good on paper. Go out on the ice and fucking shit hits the fan. So hopefully we end up looking good on paper this year and we end up looking good on the ice. Goaltending's a big question mark. I, I don't know how to feel about it. I really hope that the job goes to Delia uh, just to see what he can do. And, hey, if he's not doing the job, I'm more than happy with Subban stepping up and taking the spot. PT, what you got? Yeah, um, I know it's really hard right now, but I think we just all have to kind of keep positive vibes. Um, you just kind of got to hope for the best um, and just see what happens. I, I know we're all really confused right now, and I think we just kind of have to let shit play out and see what goes with it, you know. Trust, trust the front office. Yes. Even though it can be difficult, trust them. Yeah, you got to trust the front office here, I guess. And to kind of wrap, to wrap up the Blackhawks portion of this segment, we need to, all of us are going to give our thank you to Corey Crawford. Um, I know we've had our ups and downs with him over the past 13 seasons, but at the end of the day, 260 wins, uh, 13 unforgettable seasons, two Stanley Cups. The dude is the black. I mean, my dad might not like me for saying this, but he is the best Blackhawks goalie to ever play the game. I think. I think most. I think most parents are going to disagree with that. Yeah, I'm going to say it though. I think he's going to be the number one goaltender in Blackhawks history. Um, Assure as hell, first ballot Hall of Famer when his time comes. And uh, like I said, I hope he comes back to Chicago. I can't wait for him to see Kane and Taze. I can't wait for him the UC to welcome him back. And I sure as hell hope that he gives us a shutout whenever he plays against us in New Jersey. So, Crow, thank you for everything you've done. Yes, uh, adding to the Crow salute, I just want to shed some light on his injuries the past couple years, yet he still battled back, busted his balls off, came back, had a really good season this year, showed up. We had playoff Crawford this year, and it was absolutely fantastic. Uh, Crawford, thank you for everything, you the man, and if you're listening – we salute you. Yeah, 
thanks for everything. You guys covered it all. Um, beautiful. He's a beautiful guy. Beautiful guy. He's a beauty, for sure. Last thing uh, I forgot about, too. We also need to salute the one and only Doc Emmerich on his retirement. Yeah. Oh, fuck. That hurt the heart. It sucks. It really did. And that that five-minute documentary yes. they released on Twitter for him was, mm. was chilling to watch. It was Beautiful. awesome. Uh, I know none of us will ever forget Doc calling those three Stanley Cup games. I can still hear him uh, counting down that, that 2015 Cup in Chicago with the fans behind him. Uh, it truly – I mean, Doc is probably not my number one commentator uh, for all sports. Um I would say Gus Johnson's probably in there at number two, but Doc has finally called a career, and it's not going to be be the same hearing his voice anymore. But uh, we have to give him a salute as well. Thank you, Doc Hammer. Yes, thank you so much. It was unbelievable just listening to him call games. He just brought electric to every game. When it wasn't fun, he made it fun. It was absolutely amazing to hear his voice every night. It was fantastic. Yeah, that documentary just gave me goosebumps, and I, you know just magic memories and so many good thoughts just i, I wish him the the best of his retirement and hopefully he enjoys it all he'll, he'll still be around hockey he even said it he, he'll, he'll still be there for sure all right that wraps it up for this episode make sure to follow us on uh facebook uh follow us on twitter check us out on uh whatever you're listening to right now give us a rating five stars would be fantastic you know we'd love that Uh, Thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you in the next episode. Peace. Peace out. Five to the